This episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is brought to you by Zephyr CMS. It's a modern cloud-based CMS system that's licensed only to agencies. You can find them at ZephyrCMS.com. More about this later in the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jantz and my guest today is Brad Feld. He has been an early stage investor and entrepreneur since 1987 and prior to co-founding the Foundry Group, he was a co-founder of Techstars, the seed accelerator. He's also a writer and speaker on venture capital investing and entrepreneurship, co-author of a book we're going to talk about today, The Startup Community Way, Evolving an Entrepreneurial Ecosystem. So Brad, thanks for joining me. John, thanks for having me. So you wrote a book, I wrote a book called The Startup Communities, or just Startup Communities, I think, in 2012. And now we're back with Startup Community Way. So have we evolved significantly in the last six years? I actually, I wanted to ask you that, of course, because those two books come together. But I actually wanted to say, have we evolved since 1987, to tell you the truth? But let's just focus on what we can focus on. Totally unclear if we've actually evolved very much. Uh, <laughs> Uh, my wife, Amy, likes to question whether there's any such thing as progress uh, when we have dark moments. Um, I wrote Startup Communities in 2012, and when I wrote it, the phrase didn't exist. So, you know, it's a great joy of any author to come up with a book title that ends up being a phrase that gets used globally uh, to describe something. And when I wrote Startup Communities in 2012, uh, it, it was really collection of thoughts that I had uh, from the previous three or four years as I saw Boulder, Colorado, where I live and where uh, you live next door to, um, was really evolving and growing as a startup uh, location and a startup what became called the startup community. But I was trying to figure out what was going on because Boulder was, you know, it's only 100,000 people. And uh, there was this endless conversation about, well, if you want to create a startup, you have to be in the Bay Area or maybe New York maybe possible. And so between 2012 and today, an enormous amount has happened globally around entrepreneurship. Uh, The idea of startup communities being able to be built anywhere is now a widespread idea. Um, The uh, dynamics around entrepreneurship have been democratized globally. And Ian Hathaway, who's my co-author and I, about three years ago started thinking about how to answer the question, okay, I've been doing this for five years, now what? And that was really the beginning of the work to create the startup community way. There's an element of it also that's an homage to Eric Ries, uh, who wrote Lean Startup, uh, and then wrote The Startup Way, uh, which was basically taking principles of a lean startup and applying it to any type of business, including very large corporations. And with the startup community way, We've taken the idea of things that generate and evolve a startup community, uh, but we apply them more broadly to anything in our society. So, so is there a set of, you know, conditions or, I mean, like what makes a startup community? Like, what, what do you, how do you look at a city and go, yeah, that's, they've got a, you know, a huge startup community going there. I mean, is there something that, that kind of signals that? Well, separate the two dynamics, which is, how can you look at an existing city and judge how good its startup community is versus what are the underlying conditions and characteristics needed to develop a startup community? Uh, If you go back to my first book, 
start communities, I came up with something called the Boulder Thesis, and it had four principles. And I said, any city in the world with at least 100,000 people uh, should be able to create a vibrant startup community. And in fact, any city in the world that has at least 100,000 people needs a vibrant startup community because you need to be continually having innovation uh, and entrepreneurship and sort of rejuvenation of things in your community around innovation and new ideas. Um, those four principles, in hindsight, seem fairly obvious, but at the time were not. Uh, the first is that the leaders have to be entrepreneurs. The second is that you have to take a very long-term view, at least 20 years. Uh, the third is that you have to be inclusive of anyone who wants to engage. And the fourth is you have to have activities and events uh, that are happening all the time around the activity of entrepreneurship. When I, when I moved forward to today and looked back, when Ian and I started working on this, uh, about 18 months ago, we were having a conversation as we were struggling, like writing, you know, writing a book's not easy, especially when we're trying to come up with something that's fresh uh, and has, has sort of a broad art to it. And both of us were, had been reading about complexity and complexity theory. I was fascinated by it going back to the 1980s when complexity science became a thing at the Santa Fe Institute. And Ian had just read something that triggered it. We ended up in this conversation, and we're like, you know what? Startup community is simply put a complex adaptive system, which is a type of system. We've shortened that phrase to complex systems because complex adaptive system is just a subset of a complex system. And essentially, if you think about the Boulder thesis and some of the characteristics, like you have to have a very long-term view, the same thing happens with complex systems. What we were finding was a lot of people were saying, hey, we've been at this for a while, five years, not the 20, right, but the five years. And how do we measure ourselves against something else? And my quick answer was you don't. Like, don't bother. That's not what you're trying to do. You're trying to create something that's unique to yourself, to your city, to your community, uh, and evolve it and grow it over time uh, in a way that's unpredictable. And it turns out that the theory of complexity uh, matches to that extremely well. Well, and I love that you use the word uh, ecosystem because if, if there ever was uh, a complex system, <laughs> uh, an ecosystem, I think, you know, certainly qualifies. And I think yeah. you see a lot of in this same startup community, if something is out of bounds, if there's some ingredient that's not there, then it won't sort of gel and come together and be healthy. You think some of the most, you know, uh, easy to understand ecosystems or complex systems are things like, um, uh, you know, any sort of biological system, right? But if you think about even contemporary society, I mean, when we wrote this book, nobody anticipated the COVID crisis. Nobody was thinking about the moment in time that we are here in the summer of 2020. And uh, early on, the end of March, uh, when I was getting my mind around what was actually happening with COVID, uh, I got very involved in a number of things in Colorado uh, at the state level. Uh, on the private sector side, but to try to help uh, our state government uh, with things around uh, the disease and this unfolding crisis. Uh, I wrote a blog post that said there are actually three crises. There's a health crisis that's unprecedented. It generated an economic crisis. We wouldn't have had the economic crisis without the health crisis. The general economy was quite strong in the beginning of the year. That is generating a mental health crisis. As human beings, we're not used to living in our houses 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You know, all of our all of our functional norms are upended. That's generated uh, a racial equity crisis. Um, 
all of these crises have been around, but they're complex systems. They have and flow and different things take on different characteristics at different points in time. But, you know, we always have health crises. Economic crises come and go. There's a pervasive mental health crisis uh, in our country, and the racial equity crisis has been going on for over 400 years. And all of a sudden, these four things are colliding uh, in a way that has unbelievably complex, and I'll underscore that word, interactions where it's virtually impossible to predict where anything's going. And all that you can do is continue to focus on understanding the outputs that are being generated against the backdrop of the new inputs that are unfolding on a daily basis, which is kind of the essence of the evolution of a complex system. So I, I know you try a lot of people look at um, Silicon Valley and go, yeah, we want to, you know, we want to be the next Silicon Valley or Prairie or whatever they want to put, you know, term to it. And a lot of ways when I hear you describe this, it's almost accidental. I mean, that there's no way to say, yeah, we're going to copy that. It's just that when these come together, they come together in sort of a beautiful accident. Is that too far of a stretch? Totally, totally well said. Silicon Valley today it could not recreate Silicon Valley. Right? It's a it's hundred years of a complex system having its endless gyrations, evolutions, changes, um, positive and negative contagion of things that are all of a sudden working like crazy and then collapsing. And you don't have to go too far back in time, 20 years for anybody that was around during the Internet bubble. Um, you know, the, the positive contagion between 1997 and 2000 of internet and internet-based businesses and then the absolute massive negative contagion uh, and subsequent con collapse that came uh, from the dot-com bust and sort of the overinflation of a number of different things uh, in that moment. Uh, the, I've been saying for a very long time, uh, don't label your city with silicon something. Don't try right. to start starter. That's the stupidest thing you could do. Uh, right. Your city has a brand already. It's the name of your city. Right, Boulder means something to people, and if you want it to mean more, use the name Boulder. Don't call it, you know, Silicon Flatirons or something that loses all essence of that fundamental branding. And you know, the, the last I'd say is emulating Silicon Valley or emulating any other geography, including Boulder, is the wrong strategy. The, the key is to learn from what those geographies over time and those startup communities in those geographies did that worked and did that didn't work, study things, but then figure out what your own uh, local natural resources are and build your own system over time that incorporates things that you think will work, but recognize that you have to run a bunch of experiments because a bunch of things that worked in one place may not work in another place. So, so you mentioned Boulder numerous times. We just were talking about place. I mean, does, uh, given, given our distributed nature and our ability to work remotely or pretty much anywhere. Uh, I, I mean, does that imply community? Does, does that form of community imply place or not? It's fascinating. Until uh, three months ago, nobody talked about distributed work as the future. Um, yeah. I, I've been a distributed worker for a long time. I moved to Boulder in 1995. I've always had investments all around the U.S. I used to travel a lot. I got totally burnt out. So about five or six years ago, I stopped traveling very much. Um, but I continue to have investments everywhere, and I work remotely, and I'm very comfortable. I don't like going to the office very much, so I work at home more than I do in an office anyway. Yeah. And at the beginning of the year, I wrote uh, what feels very prescient now, 
uh, but a post that basically said distributed work is the future. Um, and if you look at today, right, if you had said in January or February, uh, the vast majority, 95 plus percent of non-essential workers, workers that, you know, worked in an office building, were going to be working at home for months on end, and companies of all sizes would be fully work from home, people would have looked at you like you're out of your mind. And uh, I know whenever I talked about it myself, people were like, yeah, WordPress does that, and yeah, there's a company, you know, GitLab, they do that, but... Uh, you know, we have two offices, but it's really, really important that we have this big office in this, you know, pick your place. Yeah. And now all of a sudden, uh, you know, technology companies are the, are the first wave of it. But many of them are going entirely work from home or distributed work first, I think, is their remote first is the trendy word. And places like Colorado have unbelievable advantages in that context, because if you think about Colorado, we're a huge state. We don't have a lot of people population outside of the front range. Um, and many people are looking around saying, I don't want to live in a city anymore. That's not my gig. I want to go live in the mountains. I want to go live in a smaller town. But I want to live in a place that's vibrant. I want to raise my kids in a place that is, you know, uh, affordable and that has energy. And so they're looking for these uh, places. All of a sudden, what was a very geographically centric view around startup community, right? Very place-based. Yeah. Still is place-based. That's important because the physical uh, association with space is more important than ever. But the geographic distribution and the ability to be in multiple places but still be part of a community becomes super interesting. Um, as, as an experiment, I'm creating, uh, with part of the launch of the book, I'm creating something that I'm calling the Startup Community Community. Uh, and uh, I've, I've uh, launched essentially a distributed community of people interested in startup communities. In, and my hope is that people will engage in clusters within their geographies. But some of the most powerful things that happen is when you get people that have left your geography and are now somewhere else, or people that want to come to your geography. If you can figure out how to connect them into your startup community as well, some magic can happen. You know, today content is everything. So our websites are really content management systems, but they've got to work like one. Check out Zephyr. It is a modern cloud-based CMS system that's licensed only to agencies. It's really easy to use. It's very fast. Uh, won't mess with your SEO. I mean, it really reduces the time and effort to, to launch uh, your client's websites. Beautiful themes, just really fast profitable way to go. They include an agency services to really kind of make a, them your plug and play dev shop. Check out Zephyr.com. That is Z-E-P-H-Y-R CMS.com. So, so do cities, I mean, some cities have embraced this, but sometimes it's kind of talk. I mean, it's bureaucrats saying, yeah, we need to be startup friendly. Um, but, but do you, I'll use your example, Eagle, Colorado, you know, small community, groovy place to live. <laughs> Lots happening there. You know, does that a city like that need to get into the game, you know, full on to help these communities build? Well, it can. Um, and, and we can talk about sort of different uh, geographic dynamics. And Eagle's a good example because Eagle itself is very small. Remember, I used sort of the 100,000 person number yeah. uh, as, as an example. And uh, in 
startup communities, I have a second edition of that coming out at the same time. So I've refreshed it and updated it uh, for 2020. Um, mostly left it the same, so the historical context is there. But one of the chapters that I added that my partner, uh, Seth Levine and Mark Nogger, who runs the Greater Colorado Venture Fund, and a few others contributed to and really wrote the basic of that chapter, was a chapter around rural uh, entrepreneurship, rural startup communities, and the difference between uh, a non-urban setting and an urban setting. And a powerful thing for people that know, for example, Colorado is uh, Eagle is a city that's part of the Vail Valley. And the Vail Valley, if you do a circle around it, is, you know, you kind of took a 50-mile radius and just drew a circle. captures a lot of people and a lot of little communities. And so, so instead of thinking about it as a little town, think about it as a broader geography. Instead of thinking about the Aspen startup community, think about the Roaring Fork startup community, which captures places like Basalt and Carbondale and Glenwood Springs. And all of a sudden, you've got uh, a good connector with a critical mass of people in that geography. By the way, you're taking advantage of one of the, the secrets of Colorado, or, or one of the advantages of Colorado, which is that there's an enormous amount of movement between the front ranges, front range towns and the mountains. So people from Denver and Boulder and Colorado Springs and Fort Collins have second houses in the mountains. And they're regularly coming into Eagle County or Gunnison County, uh, and staying at their second houses at the ski resorts or taking a weekend and, or a week and renting a house, if you've got a vibrant startup community in the region, all of a sudden those people from the front range have something to engage in around the startup community versus your regional startup community having to constantly go to the big city. So if I'm a, uh, an individual who starts a business and I'm – I'm considering or I'm in, let's, let's take two businesses, the point I'm trying to make. I'm an individual, I start up, I do my startup things. I'm an individual, I start up, and I join a startup community. Does that entrepreneur act differently, do things differently? Uh, differently is, I don't, I don't think differently is the right label to put on it. My, my view from the, the first book in 2012 was that the leaders – uh, uh, entrepreneurs have to be the leaders of the startup community. Not all of them, but you do have to have a critical mass. You have to have enough entrepreneurs who say, you know, we're going to work together to really build a startup community here. Uh, now, in that first book, um, I, made, I made a mistake in the way I categorized this. I, I described two categories, leaders and feeders. And the, the leaders were entrepreneurs, the feeders were everybody else. It turns out that that wasn't right. I, I should have called them apples and papayas. I wasn't trying to make a one-up, one-down relationship. I was just trying to separate oh, yeah. between yeah. the entrepreneurs and everybody else. In, in the second edition in Startup Community Way, we came out with this idea of instigators. And so we have leaders, instigators, and feeders. Uh, and leaders and instigators are people, and feeders are organizations. And this is where uh, the piece fits together. Uh, your leaders do have to be entrepreneurs. They're people. Your instigators are also people. They're people who work typically for feeder organizations, university, government, nonprofits, big companies, lawyer, law firms, investment firms, that sort of thing. And then your feeders are those the organizations, the university, the government, um, the nonprofit. And the, the trick is the feeders themselves are not the ones who are creating and organizing the startup community. They are... Uh, a key part of it, an essential part of it, 
uh, but they're really helping support the entrepreneurs who have to be at the center of the startup community. So, you know, the whole reason the startup community exists is to help entrepreneurs succeed. The instigators play leadership roles, even though they work for the feeder organizations. And so, in some ways, it's not that you really need a specific recipe of things, but you need these different types of, of people and entities interacting with each other in ways that create positive feedback loops and try experiments and continue to allow there to be a positive sum game where there's not a winner and a loser, but the more the startup community develops and evolves, the more robust it becomes. So you've talked about people and organizations and probably resources to some extent. Um, conditions probably play a big role in, in these things uh, taking off. The conditions that we have right now, <laughs> um, which I know you said who can predict, but I'm going to ask you, um, you know, what, what self-organizing systems or communities are going to come out of the conditions that are now so unique? Well, there's a cliche in the world of entrepreneurship and, and venture, which is some of the greatest companies get created in some of the worst environments. Right. right? And so, uh, you know, cliches are generally have some semblance of truth in them, by the way. Amazing companies get created in good environments too. Um, so I'm very, I personally believe that the conditions that we have today, uh, which by the way, from my frame of reference, are going to uh, continue to be turbulent, confusing, and really challenging many, on many, many dimensions for a while. Um, I'm not a believer that, you know, we're, we're in good shape today. Uh, I'm not a believer that we're going to be in good shape at the end of the year. Um, and as a result, what happens as there's increasing stress in different ways is that things that are really valuable and really important emerge. Um, there's already been some very obvious business examples of this. Um, you know, video conferencing uh, is, is a classical one, right? Everybody all of a sudden is totally comfortable with video conferencing, and you have the emergence of companies like Zoom that are just like overnight massive. A really great company already, but you know, the amplification of it in this moment has been incredible. Telemedicine would be another example of it. Telemedicine made 10 years of progress in four weeks. And the entire reason that telemedicine was stuck was because of incumbents, was because of insurance companies and hospitals right. and government, like stupid reasons and, and behavioral resistance from doctors who, you know, were just in a rhythm of how things work well, where all of a sudden that rhythm's completely busted not just changed or limited, busted. Everybody looks at it and says, this is not right, and you change. We have many of those things happening right now uh, across different levels in, in education, all up and down the stack from you know, preschool to postgraduate, uh, you know, the whole distributed work uh, dynamic, especially as companies start trying to get people back into their offices and just realizing both how hard and expensive it is as well as how little people want to do it, is going to generate a whole new wave of technology. But then think about things like uh, entertainment. Like, um, I know a lot of my friends who are really anxious to go to a restaurant. They, they just miss going to restaurants. And the first time they go to a restaurant, oh, my God, that was so awesome to go to a restaurant. You know, eat at a restaurant. And then they try to get one. It's just tedious. It's not that much fun. And then you've got other people like me who are like, you know, I don't need to ever go to a restaurant again. That wasn't what I was enjoying. What I was enjoying was something different about the experience. And so we've got all of these different layers of 
of activity across our existence uh, that I think will, will generate really dramatic opportunities. And a big piece of it that I don't think goes away in any way, shape, or form is the impact that entrepreneurs can help other entrepreneurs be successful and subsequently the importance of an underlying startup community, whether it's geographically focused or has some other dimension that's driving it. Yeah, I guess um, I think there's a lot of, always the case, another cliche, a lot of opportunities, you know, come out of, of uh, you know, necessity. Um, I'm not sure I'd want to be in the commercial real estate business right now. No, I, you know, it's such a good example, right? So far, nobody's <laughs> talking about the complete and utter demise of our classical historic real estate business. And what, through two, not even two years ago, was it a year ago? When did we work meltdown? A year ago, right? It yeah, started, yeah, started yeah. just a year ago. It's so amazing how fast things happen. You know, we work was going to completely change everything about how office spaces work. And if you think about the amount of new construction, commercial construction in major cities in the U.S., forget about the world, just in the U.S., over the last four or five years, it's incredible. What happens when every business realizes, you know what, I can only get half the number of people in there. That's not worth it. I'm changing the way I approach this. And all of a sudden, there's this enormous amount of empty space. A good example for our portfolio is we're encouraging all of our, our portfolio companies that have leases coming up to figure out how to have very flexible, you know, 12 to 24 month uh, real estate situations when their leases expire. So they're not locked in because, you know, there could be a real collapse of uh, supply demand dynamics in commercial real estate, uh, which makes it much less expensive for companies. Um, and also during this period of time, so many of those companies have figured out new ways to work. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I was talking to somebody in a major organization that has several call centers with several thousand people. And he was like, you know what? It works. We don't need those call centers anymore. I mean, they already came to that realization in about six weeks. And I bet you there were, were, was nobody that said you could run a call center distributed. Well, that's right. And you go a step further, right? It's not just that you can run it distributed. It's less money. You can now take a bunch of the money you spent on rent and you could use it for your employees. Like if you said to me, uh, or you said to a typical CEO, um, why do you have, you know, such a nice office? And the answer, and why do you have all this stuff in your office, food and whatever? Yeah, right, right. It's, it's for my employees, right? It's yeah. to make the work environment a great work environment. Well, if everybody's working at home, all right, you save a bunch of money and now turn around and put that money back into the people. If, I'm a, if you ask a CEO, would you rather put money into your real estate or into your employees? I think almost all going to say my employees. So figure out how to do that rather than putting it into real estate. Yeah. Everybody gets a puppy on their first year anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, might be, that might not be good for some people. I'm a big fan. Yeah. I, I love dogs. <laughs> that, that would work for me. That's, that's the new, uh, the if, new perk. If it was a cat, not, not so good. <laughs> so Brad, thanks for stopping by the, the duct tape marketing podcast. You want to tell people where they can find out more about uh, the, the various places to connect with you and, and the startup community way. Sure. The new book, uh, The Startup Community Way, is on sale where all books are sold online. Um, there's a website, startupcommunityway.com. Uh, my Twitter handle is at bfeld. Uh, and I can be reached on email at brad at feld.com. So uh, anything you want to chat about with anyone, just drop me a line. 
Awesome. Well, uh, Brad, thanks uh, again, and uh, hopefully uh, we'll see you uh, out there on the uh, the running trail somewhere. Thanks, John. Appreciate it.